Good morning, North Star. Welcome. If you're here in Compass, so glad that you are here with us. Maybe you're watching up uh, on the screen in True North this morning, or maybe you're viewing online. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, you know, it's been a while since I've been up on the stage. I started looking back through my files and notes, and it's been three years since I've been up on a Sunday morning. And so most of my time on staff, and I've been here 16 years uh, on staff, most of my time has been, been spent behind the scenes doing things that a lot of you may not see, but I do a lot of the foundational work of helping support Mike and this team with our sermon series that uh, we do and Mike's sermons from week, each week and some of his leadership talks and, and helping him with that and Bible studies that are being written. And so I do a lot of that stuff kind of behind the scenes, a lot of the heavy lifting for him. And, and a lot of times I'm just kind of there where you are. And so today I'm kind of up here and it's like, man, I've got I've thought, I got three years of stuff I got to deliver in a short amount of time. Now, now that's the good news. The bad news is I only have about 20, 25 minutes to get it in. So I'm going to talk really fast this morning, hopefully not. Um, Mike is coming back from enemy territory. He did a um, wedding last night in Birmingham, Alabama. And so he is returning this morning and is uh, listening in. So, Mike, uh, be careful, and thanks for tuning in today. Um, I'll only talk about you a little bit. You get all year to talk about me, but um, I'm, I get a little bit in this morning. Um, Amy and I uh, and our kids love North Star. Again, we've been here for 16 years. Uh, we grew up in Fayetteville, Georgia. We moved up here when Mike gave me the call that uh, they were looking for a community uh, groups pastor for couples, and so uh, we sensed that God was calling us and leading us up here, and it's just been awesome to see uh, our kids being raised up here uh, at North Star. My, uh, my oldest daughter is a freshman at the University of Georgia, and yesterday was a big, hold on, I scratched that out last night, and I'll, I'll just skip that part about that. Um, but this year marks Amy and I's 25th Christmas together as a married couple. Now, yeah, hey, I, hey, I heard a yay. Let's go a yay with that. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I began to think about all the things that have changed in our marriage over those 25 years. And I think about how we did Christmas. Um, when we started out, it was kind of like Christmas vacation. We're going to go and get the real tree and bring it back and do that. And we did that for the first couple years. But um, I remember one of the biggest fights we had in our marriage was about decorating a real Christmas tree. Now, I'm all about efficiency. I'm all about let's just get this in the shortest amount of time. Any of you like that? Guys, on a trip, what's the shortest route? You know, I'm going to put it in ways, but what does ways know? I know a better way, and so I'm going to go my way, and we're not stopping for the bathroom. Even if you got to go, we've got bottles in the car if you need to go or, or whatever. We're going to get there in record time, you know, for no reason whatsoever, but we're going to make it. So it's all about efficiency. So uh, I, it was about decorating the tree, so we had these strands of light, and so my job was to decorate the tree, and so I, I thought, well, it's, I'll start at the top, and I'll just start wrapping in a circle and just going around and around and around until it got to the bottom, and then it was around the tree, and there we go. I'd about finished with the tree, and then Amy walks in the room, and she's just kind of quiet, and I'm going, what do you think? Well... I think 
it's probably a little better if instead of just kind of going around the tree, if you would kind of go and wrap each individual branch and limb as you go, as you go around the tree. So at this point, you know, I've been fighting this tree, this real tree, and I've got scratches, and I'm itching, and I'm just like, I'm done. And so I'm like, really? I think it looks good. She's like, no, I think it'd look better if we had more lights like it did like that. And so as the immature uh, leader of the family uh, that morning, I, uh, I, I basically said, well, I'm not doing any more. I think it looks great. And so um, didn't plug in the tree, didn't finish the tree. I'm not going to do it. And so in my protest, I just left the room and huff and what. And so there was a darkness that fell over the Roach household for a day, right? Uh, until I finally relented and said, okay, I'll do it your way. And I have to admit, at the end of it, it did look a lot, a lot better. Uh, and then um, we discovered pre-lit Christmas trees. And so just some free counseling here for you guys. Pre-lit fake Christmas trees. Uh, much easier and, and prettier than what I could uh, accomplish. But it, we, it went dark for a day. Our tree was dark for a day. But as we're going to read this morning, the nation of Israel was dark for over 700 years after Isaiah steps up and says, God wants me to tell you that he's going to send a great light, and he's going to send it to you, and he's going to bring hope that you don't have. Because, you see, the nation of Israel was experiencing well, just moral darkness and spiritual darkness. They've walked away from God, and foreign invaders had come in, and it was just bleak. It didn't look good. And Isaiah says, a child is going to be born to you. A son is going to be given. And it didn't look good. And they waited 700 years in darkness before the birth of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Last week, Mike kicked off our series, and he talked about four names that Isaiah was going to give Jesus is that this coming Messiah is gonna be called Wonderful Counselor. And Mike talked about how we all need a counselor to guide us in this difficult, difficult world. And this morning, we're gonna see how Jesus is our mighty God. Beginning of verse one, the prophet wrote, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, where Jesus hung out, right, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, Jesus. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is called Mighty God. The word mighty here in the original, in the Hebrew, it, it refers to a hero-like power, a hero that steps in and cannot be defeated. One who is strong and mighty and invincible. And some of you came in this morning and you go, Steve, I get you and I hear you. But if I'm being honest with you this morning, Jesus doesn't feel real mighty to me right now. In fact, on a good day, he's not a mighty God. He's kind of a maybe God for me today. On a good day, 
He's a maybe God, but he's certainly not mighty. In fact, I'm just hanging on. If I want to be perfectly gut-level honest with you, I'm just really hanging on this morning. Life hasn't gone the way I've wanted. Things have not gone as planned. And so maybe whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, otherwise, you would say, I'm in a land of great darkness. And I want Jesus to be mighty for me, but it's just hard sometimes. It's hard. And maybe this morning you came in and God just wants to remind you that he's still mighty, even in the darkness. I uh, was thinking about how can I illustrate this, and, and I went back to something that happened to me back when I was a college student, and I was commuting to Georgia State University, and uh, I was asked to dog sit one night for our youth pastor, Hugh, and I was his intern at the church in Fayetteville, and, and they were going to go out of town for a couple of days, and I never dog sat anyone before. I'm like, how hard can this be? And, and so, um, you know, there I am at the kitchen table, and I'm doing some homework, doing some college work, and, and uh, it, the dog was a great Dane named great day named Samson, and, and he was Samson-like. I mean, he was big, I and mean, he was there, and somebody needed to take care of him, and so there we were, and um, I'm sitting at the table, and I started hearing noises in the house. Like, you know, what is that noise? That's just kind of weird, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, it's my imagination, so I go back to doing my work, and I think, you know, that is this is odd. And so I began to think to myself, I don't know, maybe it's the wind, or maybe it's Samson, he's walking around, or he's doing something, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, I'm all right. And so, go back to doing my work, and then it happened. The power goes completely out. Boom, pitch dark. And all I'm thinking is the movie Home Alone. The burglars knew the Kirby's were going to be out of town, and the house was ready to be ransacked, and so they've cut the power to turn the alarm off, and they're coming in. And I'm going, okay, this is not cool, all right? And so I get up, and I'm starting to look around and look outside, and I notice that it's not just my house where the power is out. The entire neighborhood's lights are out. I don't see light anywhere. So then I start to panic and think, man. They cut the power to the entire neighborhood just to get into my house. This is not going well. And so I have to talk myself down and realize that, okay, it's just a power out. There was no storms going on, no reason for it to be out, but it was out, and it was dark. And I was a little jittery, <laughs> me and Samson, a little jittery. Uh, about 30 minutes later, the power comes back on. And so... Um, my first thought, is, uh, well, they gave up. You know, they must have knew Samson was here, and so they've left, and so everything is back, and everything's okay. And, and uh, yeah, you know, when the lights go out, you start thinking unreasonable things. You know, you, you don't see what's in front of you. And, and I'll be honest, it can be scary. But I, I got over it, muscled through it. It's time to go to bed, so I go into the bedroom, close the door, and I'm off to sleep. Fifteen minutes into my sleep, I'm awakened with the sound of my door to the bedroom, opening and swinging open. And I, I mean, the, can you say adrenaline rush? I'm like immediately like, you know, what is, I'm like, no. And I look, at, and I can hardly see, but there is someone standing over me. Samson, the great Dane, somehow 
had found a way to paw or gnaw or open the doorknob, not a lever, but a round doorknob, and open the door, and he was standing over me, tongue out, sitting there drooling, and I'm coming down from like, what is going on? And I realized this, that either Samson missed me or I was sleeping in his bed. I don't know which one, but he was in the room with me in the dark. Now, in the dark, we can think the worst. For here's the good news. No matter how dark it gets for us, our mighty God is in the room with us. And he's in the room with you. And he's not only with you, but he's over you. And he's powerful for you this morning. And so maybe this morning, you need to be reminded that our God, Jesus is not a mini God, he's a mighty God. And he is powerful for us. And I thought, you know, I, I could spend, we could spend days talking about how is Jesus mighty for us. But I just want to give you three things this morning, just three Three ways that Jesus, we can experience his power in our life. And the first is this, that we experience his power in what he did for us. In what he did for us. He's already shown and demonstrated his power, what he did for us by coming to the world to die for us on a cross. Now here's the danger. As believers, we can get really familiar with the story, can't we? I mean, I came to know Christ when I was 17. I mean, 52, do the math, what's that, 35 years? 35 years of Christmas like at, at some point, you can kind of go, oh yeah, that's the story. And you just go on your way. And we can lose our awe and wonder over what Jesus did for us and the power of what he did for us. And we need a passage like Colossians 2 that Paul writes to remind us of his great power for us. Look, look with me. And, it said, and Paul wrote, and with him you were raised to new life because why you trusted What? the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made us alive. That's amazing, from death to life. For he forgave all our sins, all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. How do we see God's power? We trust. It's by faith. We trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let me tell you something. There was a lot of faith in this room this morning. Did you see it? Did you see all the faith that walked in the room this morning? It was all over this room. There's plenty of trust and faith this morning. And everyone, as I can look at in this room, had faith this morning. Here's how I know. You came in and you saw a chair. And you believed something about the chair. You said, I believe this chair is going to hold the weight of my body. And what did you do? You acted on that faith and that belief and that trust. And what did you do? You put your rear end down on it. And guess what? It held you. It held you. Here's the thing, when we talk about the power of God and what he's done for us, let me tell you what, we can believe that Jesus can hold us all day long and we can believe all those things, but until we get to the point in our life where we say, hey, I heard the story, I believe you did some things, but is it for me? Not until you put your full weight of trust in your heart on Jesus to say, I'm putting it all on you, and if you don't hold me up, we're all going down, I'm going down with you, but I'm putting it all on you this morning. 
See, that's what it means to trust in the power of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. The principle is this, God's power sent Jesus into the world to pay for our sins and to make us right with God. Now, for many people in our culture, in our country, Christmas season is a welcome annual distraction, right? Uh, until January of all the anxiety and all the pressure and problems they're going through, only that once the season is over, January, they go right back to life as usual. In our culture, we've made it very easy, really easy, to celebrate the season, but not Christ the Savior. We celebrate Christmas the season, but not Christ the Savior, and we go through the motions, and we miss the power of what Jesus has done for us. You know, the Christmas story, you think it's nice and it's wonderful, but for many, it's not powerful. It doesn't affect or change our lives. And they miss the power of the story, because this truly is the greatest story that's ever been told, but they miss the story. You see, it's just, it's really, when you think about it, it's unbelievable, in the opening chapter of the story, in the opening scenes, we find ourselves in great peril and spiritual darkness, hopelessly separated from our creator. That's the opening chapter of the book. Then the unexpected happens. Usually in a story, the main characters go through some ups and downs and figure their way out, and at the end, they live happily ever after. But in this story, the unexpected happens. It's different. The creator and author of the story decides to himself enter into the story to rescue those who he created. Pastor, church planner, David Platt, he explained it like this as he talked about Christmas. He said, I was in another country recently and I was sitting outside a temple with two other guys, actually from different religions. They were talking about how all three of our religions were fundamentally the same just kind of superficially different. Finally, I spoke up and I said, it's almost like you guys picture God or whatever you call him at the top of a mountain and we're all at the bottom of the mountain. I may take this path up and you may take that path up, but in the end, we're all in the same place. And they smiled and they said, exactly, you understand. I looked back and I said, well, what if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to find our way up to him, he actually came down to where we are. They said, well, well that, that'd be great. And I said, this is the difference. What we find in the Bible is a story of God who's not left us alone to try to figure out, find our way up to him. But he has come to us and he has made the way to himself through Jesus. And that is the story of Christmas. That is the story of Christmas, and it never really clicked to me in my life, and I didn't understand it until I was a senior in high school, 1986, 17 years old. And up to that point in my life, I believed that there was a God, but it made no difference in my life, and I kinda thought, I was a mountain climber. I kinda thought, you know, yeah, yeah, we kinda climb our way and do some good things and try not to do too many bad things and kinda make our way up the mountain toward God, and we get up there enough. God says, all right, everything's good. But I didn't really give it much thought and it didn't make any difference in my life. I live probably 500 yards away from a church, the largest church in our county, and I still remember growing up playing outside in the backyard and hearing the sounds of music and a loudspeaker and thinking, man, that church sure is loud sometimes. They would have these uh, crusades, they did outdoor events where they would invite people to come in and to listen to a guy talk about Jesus and I would hear it and think, 
why are they so loud over there? I don't understand. I mean, we're trying to play the backyard here. And, and for years, this church was there. We had passed it every day going into town. And I would be invited by a friend of mine, hey, come to church with me. And I'd always come up with an excuse, right? I was always doing something like, no, not today, or I'm, I'm watching this game, or I'm doing this thing. And I always rebuffed him, and I still remember that, off and on through the years. Until one time, I was a senior in high school, and this friend called and said, hey, there's a Sunday school party our 12th grade class is doing. We're just joining in that class, and the, and the teachers are having a little party over at their house, and we're going to throw football and eat some food and stuff. And so I was like, okay, sure. And so I went. We threw the ball, ate some food, and it was, okay, it was pretty cool. These people aren't too weird. You know, it's all right. And he opened up the Bible, and he just shared a verse and just a thought with us. Uh, the teacher did, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. On the way back home, my friend said, hey, why don't you come to church with me tomorrow morning? And I'm sure to his shock, I said, yes. Why not? And so that morning he came and he picked me up. And I remember I was wearing uh, a suit, and I don't know why we had a suit, but I was wearing a suit or coat and tie. I think we had maybe bought for the one funeral I attended growing up that my older brother had worn, and I found it, and I put that on, of course, my friend shows up with no suit on and he's looking very casual and here I am. And so there I went, you know, and so I'm just an outsider. I don't know what's going on. And so some of the older folks were, but the younger students didn't, but I did that day. I walked in and I was out of place and I, all that and went and it was fine and good and, you know, took the tie off because that was weird and put it in the pocket. And so I'm like trying to be cool. And so I'm sitting up in a balcony of this church, 2,000 seat auditorium, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to a guy at the bottom, and then he said some cool things, but at the end of his talk, he said this. He said, some of you this morning, God wants to save you. He wants to forgive you, because we're all separated from God. For all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. Every person, nobody can climb the mountain on their own to get to God. Nobody can do it. But Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And all you gotta do is turn away from that sin and say, I don't wanna do that anymore, and then turn to him by faith and say, yes, I want what you did for me. And that morning, I prayed a prayer. I don't know what I prayed, but I know I reached out and said, Jesus, yes, I want that with my friend sitting beside me. And now I get the joy of working alongside my best friend as your senior pastor, Mike Lynch, who invited me. And I know I've told that story here before, but I, I'll never get over what happened in my life. Because he said that I mattered. And God is continuing to change me. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived yet. But God is still powerfully working in ways to make me more and more like Jesus. And then what he did for me over 2,000 year, years ago was powerful. And then what he did for me in October of 1986 was powerful and it's still powerful today because he sent a spirit inside of me to change me, to change me. Second way we can experience God's power this morning is in what he's doing around us. It's just to look around. God is mighty and he is doing what he wants around us, but do you ever get like this? You ever think like this? I think like this sometimes, I say, Man, I got, uh, you're really powerful when you do what I want you to do for me. Man, look at what, I, I asked for this and you came through and God, boy, you're really powerful. 
And then when I ask God to do something for me or do something in my favor, I go, God, where are you? You're not really powerful here when you don't give me what I want. But as I've grown older, here's what I've learned. God is most powerful in those times when he doesn't get me what I want. In fact, he's most powerful in those times when I wouldn't have wished I would ever get what I got. And so in those unanswered prayers, God begins to work and moves in ways I could never have imagined. And I look back at those times and go, I never would have wished it, but I'm glad I went through that because now I realize how powerful he is. In Matthew 6, the disciples were being taught to pray by Jesus, and here's what it says, and here's what Jesus instructed them to do. Now notice this. He said, Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come, may your will be done done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the first observation is apparently God's will is not perfectly done in the way that he, his will ultimately is accomplished, but there are things that are done here that, that are terrible, that are sinful, that are evil. And for a season, God is allowing that in this world. And so as he tells his disciples to pray, he says, here, pray that what is done in heaven in a perfect place, pray what is happening there would be done here in this imperfect place. You join in and you pray God that you would join God in what he is doing here. And so how do we see God's power? We pray for God to have his way and not ours. We pray for God to have his way and not ours. Here's what I've learned. God doesn't always give me what I want but he always gives me what I need. God does not always give me what I want, but he always gives me what I need. And I've learned this principle. God's power flows in the direction of his purposes, not our preferences. Let me say that again. God's power flows in the direction of his purposes, not always our preferences. See, Jesus, when when he's talking with his disciples about what it meant to follow him, Jesus would always tell them, oh, you wanna follow me? Here's what you get, deny yourself. That's the first word. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be willing to die for me, and then you follow me. That's what it meant. Every time. What is he saying? If you want to follow me and experience my mighty power, my power is going to flow in the direction of my purposes and not always your purposes, and it's not always going to be easy, and it's not always going to be comfortable. We see this illustrated so powerfully on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's in a garden with his friends who are all falling asleep on him. And he asked two guys, a couple of guys he thought he could count on to come with me. You guys, you, you guys are really close to me. You guys pray for, pray, pray for me. This is gonna be tough. I got a tough day ahead of me. And they're falling asleep. And he's agonizing in prayer. And he's saying, and he's contemplating about taking the massive weight of the sin of the entire world for all time on his shoulders and the agony of the crucifixion of a Roman crucifixion and the death and then the darkness of God turning his attention and focus away from Jesus while he's on that cross and the desperateness of that moment. And Jesus contemplates that and he prays, God, here's the deal, Father. If there's any other way, could you please, 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 let's do it that way. Please. I know I'm plan A, but if plan B will work just as well, just let's, let's kick it in right now. This will be a good time to do it, really good time to do it. Wink, wink, nod, nod, let's do that now. And Jesus relents and says, yet not my will, 
but your will be done. And we all sit here today because Jesus said, not my will. God works most powerfully in the direction of his purposes, not always our preferences. And you gotta realize at the end of the day, his purposes are gonna glorify him. And his purpose is to work for your good and for my good. But in the meantime, in the present time, it's not always easy. There are times of darkness, and sometimes it is scary. But he's with us. He's over us. He's over us. The last way we can experience God's power, or a third way we can experience God's power is what he's doing in us. Is what he's doing in us. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul begins to talk about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Scholars have debated through the years, they don't know what the thorn of the flesh was. He called it a messenger of Satan. He says, it's evil. Whatever it is, is evil, and I don't like it. And he says he pleaded three times. That was kind of a way in that day vernacular to say that he did this constantly. Paul, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. It's too painful. It's too painful. Scholars different from what it was. Why isn't it in there? God doesn't want us to know what it was. God wants us to know the principle is that whatever it was is painful. But God used that pain to humble a guy named Paul. To humble a guy named Paul. In fact, look what Paul said. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can we see God's power? We keep walking in faith when we don't feel it, when we're weak. The root word that Paul used for thorn here describes a tent stake, not a thumbtack, a tent stake. This one scholar says, the thorn means anything which frustrates or causes trouble in the lives of those afflicted. Anybody got a thorn this morning? Are you dealing with a thorn? Scholar Warren Wisby said, There's, Paul learned two ways, two ways of relief from the burden. The first is by removing the load. The second way to relieve, get relief from the burden is strengthening the shoulder that bears the load. Instead of taking the thorn away, God strengthened Paul's shoulder under the load. And as we see through the book of Acts, God moved powerfully in this guy named Paul to change a world by preaching and teaching about the hope of Jesus. Here's the principle. God's power is most often demonstrated in our growth rather than in our comfort or even in our pain rather than our comfort. Mike and I's favorite seminary class was taught by a guy named Ron Dunn. He's a pastor, author, Bible teacher. He's gone on to be with the Lord. Ron battled depression pretty much all his life. He endured the suicide of his teenage son. He battled several painful diseases, and one of those eventually took his life. In his book, When Heaven is Silent, he talked about God's mighty power to make us like Jesus. And he said this. He used this analogy as I close. 
A man visited the studio of a sculptor and in the middle of the room sat a huge slab of marble. What are you gonna sculpt out of that marble, the man asked. A horse, answered the sculptor. Well, how will you do that, the visitor asked. I will take a hammer and a chisel and I will knock off everything that doesn't look like a horse. I think it's fair to say, Ron wrote, that God's purpose is to knock off of us everything that doesn't look like Jesus. The reality for us this morning is that the hammer and the chisel can be painful. It can hurt. And so this morning as we close, I wanna give you a moment. I wanna give you an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to be mighty in your life. I want you to give him your thorn today. What is it that you'd really just prefer he'd take away from you? But then I want you to pray that God, if that's not your will, I need you to strengthen my my shoulders because God, I'm going down. I'm tired. I'm going down. And if you don't strengthen the, the shoulder underneath the burden, it's not gonna be a good scene. Would you strengthen my shoulder this morning? Let's pray. This morning, I just want to give you a moment. Say, God, my thorn is. And tell them what the thorn is. What is it? Say, God, I really would prefer that you take it away. And I pray that that be your will. Lord, if it's not, would you strengthen my shoulder somehow, some way, through your power? Whether it be another person, a small group, whether it be through your spirit, giving me joy when I didn't know where joy would come from, whether it be through your word, whether it be through the reminder this morning, the encouraging word of a friend. I don't know how, but God, I need some encouragement. I need a strong shoulder here because this is heavy. Some of you this morning, you need to experience for the first time the mighty power of Jesus. That maybe Christmas for you is a celebration of the season but not a celebration of the Savior. You, you need a Savior. Maybe you're like me. Ah, oh, yeah, it's a big mountain. We'll all kind of get up and, you know, God will say, okay, you're far enough, you're good. But the reality is we can't climb the mountain. The good news of Christmas is God has come down from the mountain to meet us in the valley. And if you want to meet Jesus, it's the attitude of your heart. It's what God is doing in your heart. It's through his spirit. But if you want to pray a prayer, you can pray that to him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're calling with a sincere heart, you can do that this morning and pray a prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I know that you were born for me, first Christmas, but I know that you lived a perfect life and I know that you went to the cross for me to die for all my sins. And I know that you victoriously rose from the dead on that first Easter. Come into my life, Lord, through your spirit. Be my Lord, be in charge, be my savior, forgive me my sins, make me right with you. If that was the desire of your heart this morning, welcome to the family of God. God hears you this morning. Even in your darkness, 
He's in the room. And he is strong for you and he is mighty for you and he is with you and he is over you. Even when it's scary. Jesus, thank you for being our mighty God this morning. We pray all this in your name.